Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. All right, put on your thinking caps. I got a scenario for you. I want you to think about this for a second. We'll welcome everybody and all that good stuff, and and then we're going to talk about this. I, I, I have been, like, pretzeling my mind for the last hour. I'm going to lay out a scenario for you. And and the end question is, who gets left out? Now, this is all kind of projecting. It's playing out the season in your head. It's speculating. I know it always all plays out. But let me here, Here's your scenario. At the end of the regular season, I'm sorry, at the end of championship weekend, we have... Five undefeateds. Five of them. You have Notre Dame, who would only have, as as the committee would say, 12 data points, because they don't play a championship game. But that would include a win at home against Ohio State and a home win against Southern Cal. You have Michigan undefeated, which includes a road win at Penn State, a home win against Ohio State, and then whoever they have to play in Indianapolis for the title game. Texas is undefeated. That includes a win at Alabama, winning Red River in a neutral site, beating K-State, winning the Big 12 championship game. Florida State is undefeated. That includes a win over LSU, a win on the road at Clemson, a win against Duke, which I know, but they're top 25 right now. And a win against Miami. And then whoever they have to beat in the ACC championship game. And Georgia is undefeated. And that includes a win against a ranked Ole Miss team. A win against a ranked Tennessee team. And a win in the SEC championship game against somebody from the West that just managed to get there because the West cannibalized itself. Nine and three, ten and two. Not your typical top five matchup in the SEC championship game. Think on that for a second. The question is of those five teams, who gets left out? Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. And Super Talk TV. We're coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studio. Pearl River Resort is the home of the sports book at the Golden Moon Casino. Uh, you can learn more about them online at PearlRiverResort.com. Love to hear from you. C Spire text line 601 879 
4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from C Spire Business. Learn more about them online at cspire.com slash business. Feel free to send us who you think in that scenario would be left out of the college football playoff. I will remind you, picks are up. Polks pick six. Supertalk.fm slash Polks. Supertalk.fm slash Polks. Uh, you got uh, a couple of days, three days, I guess three and a half days to get your picks in. Uh, the winner will get a six-pack of Polk sausage. We'll tell you more about it as we go through. All right. You guys may think I'm crazy for the way I lay this out. There's a method, I think, to my madness. That scenario. Undefeated Notre Dame, undefeated Michigan, undefeated Texas, undefeated Florida State, undefeated Georgia. Which of those five teams in 2023 gets left out of the college football playoff? Notre Dame. Okay, why? The other four would have won their conference. And and when you boil it down to their schedules, the resumes are all comparable enough where when the other four have an extra win, presumably against somebody that is ranked, and Notre Dame gets to sit on their uh, on their rear ends, on their wa- four leaf clover, and watch everybody else get tested and pass that test. Sorry, that's the life you chose being an independent. Everybody else had to had to answer another call when you didn't. Hey, Dad, who gets left out? I'm with you, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. This feels like everybody else has more more impressive wins. So, is it because those two huge games for Notre Dame would be home games? I mean, it would be hard to find a team with two better wins than Ohio State and Southern Cal on the same resume. Possibly. I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to think my way around. I mean, as much as we like to make fun of Clemson. I mean, there's a legitimate chance there are a 9-10 win season at the end of this. Okay, well, then I've so, got to add Clemson to the list for Notre Dame as well then. So that would mean... Well, that's fine. That would, in an undefeated scenario, that would mean that Notre Dame has wins on the road against NC State. Could be a ranked team when it's all said and done. We'll see. At home against Ohio State. On the road against Duke. At home against Southern Cal. On the road against Clemson. Pretty good resume. Here's what I'm getting at, and and neither of you really took the bait here. There's a lot of conversation about the SEC and where it is right now. The fact that the SEC is, what, three and six in Power Five games through the first two weeks, and those three wins are Auburn over Cal 14 to 10, Mississippi State over Arizona in overtime, and what's the other one? Oh, Tennessee over Virginia. Those are the SEC's three Power Five wins through the first two weeks of the season. They are. And, and there aren't a ton of opportunities. And in marquee matchups against other conferences, particularly the ACC, the SEC hasn't just lost those games. They've kind of gotten dominated. 
North Carolina over South Carolina, Florida State over LSU, Miami over Texas A&M. What are the others I'm not thinking about? Hey, Wait, are you getting at, you You think that... Here's what I'm asking. So, so if Georgia, when it's all said and done, has two ranked wins and they play a two- or three-loss SEC Western Division champ in the SEC title game, who is ranked in the 20s. Is there a scenario where Georgia gets left out? Zero percent. So at the bat, you're the, the two-time reigning national champion. And that's why. Zero percent. Yeah. Absolutely. As long they, as they right. keep winning, they will be number one. They, they could not, have two gone. FCS teams and no ranked wins on that schedule. And the most recent national champion twice over going undefeated again will not be left out of the playoff. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I agree with you. I am. But as, as this season goes along, if all of these other things were to happen... You, you would see teams start to tick up, tick up, tick up, and at some point, you know, an undefeated Texas after they've already won at Alabama and they beat Oklahoma and they beat Kansas State in, like, week 10, do they jump to number one? Does Florida State, who was super impressive, if they just keep winning, you know, if they beat a Miami team that maybe has only one loss at the time or is undefeated, do they jump to number one? You guys think I'm crazy for even thinking that? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. George, George is not dropping as long as they keep winning. Well, and, and here, I guess what I was getting at was if the SEC is not very good in its non-conference opportunities this year, Georgia cruises through its schedule undefeated and is never really tested. The rest of the league just kind of beats up on each other because maybe it's a little more average or there's more parity or whatever the reason is. And you start looking at these other teams and they're just clicking off impressive win after impressive win and they get through a year undefeated. I just wonder what the appetite for the committee would be. And maybe you're right. But, I mean... Keeping an undefeated Notre Dame team out that had wins over Ohio State and Southern Cal and Clemson, but they would, they would have had been tested least. They would have been tested one game less. But how one. is that any different? Than, how, but how is that any different than if Michigan beats Iowa in the Big Ten championship game? Because Notre Dame didn't have to play Iowa in a championship game. Iowa, yeah. with one of the better defenses in college football, wouldn't test Notre Dame. It's an extra game. That's an extra chance to lose. Every time you you go on the field, you got a chance to lose. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Agree 100% with Michael Borky. Uh, Robert says agree Notre Dame is left out. Notre Dame would have one of the strongest schedules. See, that's my think, my point. Malcolm says he thinks Michigan might be the team that gets left out, that they have the weaker schedule. They would have another data point, and Michigan, in that scenario, would have wins over Penn State and Ohio State and then the Big Ten championship game. I mean, Michigan might not 
be the wrong answer. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll be right back with you after this. Sports Talk Mississippi. Hey, it's go time. Sports Talk Mississippi. Well, say something. Super Talk Mississippi. We've got a busy couple of days coming up for you, with you, on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Steve Gent will join us. He's the executive director of the Sanderson Farms Championship. That event is now three weeks away. Is that right, Borky? Is that what we landed on earlier today? It's the first week of October, so, mm-hmm. yeah, three weeks until the uh, Sanderson Farms Championship uh, in Jackson, the Country Club of Jackson. So we'll talk with Steve a little bit this afternoon about how the field is uh, is shaping up, is rounding into form as we get closer and closer. Um, and also, if maybe they have a chance to kind of lock in the field a little earlier this year uh, than in some years, because you got the Ryder Cup leading into the event. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll get to that coming up. Um Cole Kublik will join us to uh, start the 5 o'clock hour today. Tomorrow, Andy Demetra will be on the show. He is the radio play-by-play voice of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. We'll talk with him and preview the Ole Miss-Georgia Tech game a bit. Hey, Dad, we've got um, is Wilson coming on to talk some LSU tomorrow as I, well. I haven't texted him yet, but I'm sure it will be no problem. Okay. And if not, I'll get somebody else. Yeah, yeah of course you will. So. Why, why did you look funny when I said we got a busy couple of days coming up? It's been a busy couple of days over here in Starkville for me, so I have been I've been working hard in, in terms of uh, getting ready for first SEC game. Well, I mean, just in terms of all the content that I've got lined up for the next few days. There you go. A lot it started of stuff. today. It started today with uh, my interview with Nick Fitzgerald, uh, reliving the 2017 Mississippi State LSU game. Very good. Very good. You can uh, you can get all of that on the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Thunder and Lightning on the radio coming up on uh, Super Talk Mississippi right here uh, after we get finished tonight with Sports Talk Mississippi. Of course, you've got the uh, Rebel Report podcast as well by Michael Borky. Oh, it Pre- does exist. Oh, God. I didn't know that. Well, then you haven't been listening to the show for the last couple of weeks because I've been uh-huh. telling you that almost every day. Almost. Um, Okay, well, listen to it or don't. Uh, Ole Miss Georgia Tech content coming up there, I think. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. So we we threw that out there. Five undefeated, Notre Dame, Michigan, Texas, Florida State, Georgia. You guys both very, like, very matter-of-factly, without a doubt, said Notre Dame is the team that gets left out. Is Notre Dame the team that That's should get left out? Which of those well, five teams would be least deserving of participating in the playoff? Okay, so this maybe may, may may not surprise you here, but Georgia would be least deserving. Georgia's 
Yes. I mean, look at their schedule. It is putrid. And they're going to beat uh, an LSU or Alabama team that I would not be surprised as a second loss. So that would be their third loss when they lose to Georgia. Who is Georgia beating? I mean, I understand you're the two-time defending national champion, and as long as you keep winning, you're going to stay at the number one spot. But what happened the last two years is completely irrelevant to this season, right? If you don't get points for winning last year's national title, Georgia will have played literally no one. I mean, you, you mentioned their schedule. I mean, people get mad if they want. You said a ranked Ole Miss team. I don't think Ole Miss will be ranked when we get to November the 11th. So, well, yeah, that's the, well. I mean, I, I don't. That was my preseason <laughs> prediction. So, I mean, I have I would I have that penciled in as Ole Miss's fourth loss of the year. So, yeah, I, I don't. Uh, Georgia would be the correct answer for me. Borky, when I threw that at you during the break, you said, now that's a different that's question. That's a different question that, that changes uh, this a little bit. I, I do think that the conference championship has to matter, but if Georgia's schedule does play out the way it looks like it's going to play out, it is an atrocity. It, it's wild that an SEC team can have a schedule as bad as theirs. And again, in fairness, they were supposed to have Oklahoma. I get it. But, man, the East looks gross right now. I mean, they are getting no favors whatsoever with their own division. Florida's down. I mean, Kentucky can't score on Eastern Kentucky. South Carolina can't block Madison Central High School at this point. I mean, Missouri, my goodness, Missouri struggled with Middle Tennessee State for four quarters after Alabama beat them by half a hundred. The East is awful. Even Tennessee looks a little, uh, is suspect the right word? I mean, they beat up on Virginia, but but Milton was inconsistent, and then last week it's terrible. They are, and, and and Milton just uh, again, the the guy that lost his job because he wasn't consistent didn't magically become consistent. It, it, he, he's there are some issues there. So even like the class of the East behind Georgia is like kind of not inspiring. And and so many questions in the West also. Man, I think you're spot on in the East. I mean, like. Oh, the, I have more faith it? in the West than I do the East. I mean, LSU got beat up by Florida State. I, I know that, but I yeah. know what they have on that team, and I know who coaches that team. They're going to be fine, formidable at least, if nothing else. Uh, Greg McElroy deemed the Saban era of dominance over today, uh, but he's right when he says they still have one of the most talented rosters in the game. So, I mean... They can, quote-unquote, fall off by Nick Saban's dominant standards, but, I mean, do you think they're going to lose five games, this four games this year? I sure don't. Uh, so those two you can still feel comfortable with. And then we got to learn a lot about everybody else. A lot. And that, that learning starts this weekend. And it starts this weekend in Starkville. Uh, C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. So, Borky, a question that you and a buddy had when you were talking last night. Yeah, it was just a, it was a simple question, just what are you looking for? What are you looking for uh, this weekend? And he was asking me about Georgia Tech, but, of course, let's loop in uh, Mississippi State into that as well because what are you looking for this weekend? State, State is a, a two-score underdog in this game. Uh, I have a feeling if you asked Zach Arnett privately, would you trade your roster for theirs? He would say, absolutely, yes, where do I sign? Uh, so <laughs> what? <laughs> so Seems reasonable. 
what are in you, fairness what, most most teams would make that deal very few teams in the country would not i mean uh, just maybe five would say nah cut their finger and sign it in blood uh so what are you looking to see this weekend what are you looking for a totally different team than i saw last week which i that that's a big worry like Offensively, I can't see what I saw last week from Mississippi State unless they just want to get run off the field. They have to be totally different. Defensively, yeah, the the team that forced five turnovers, they can show up. They'll be fine. But but I say that at the same time, the team that allowed Jaden Delora to run wild and have those big gains and and escape pressure, Jaden Daniels will turn those into even bigger plays. All right, so, so let me stop you there for a second. So you, you said offensively it's got to be completely different, defensively okay, and then you put the caveat there, but is it just the running or is it also the big plays in the passing game? Well, I think a lot of the big plays in the passing game came as a result of him being able to escape pressure. You know, when, when yeah. somebody breaks containment and they roll out and you just, and you, you just can't cover sometimes for as long as, as, as State was giving him. Let's put it this way, uh, in terms of the explosiveness, because that uh, I'll talk about for the rest of the week. I gave you a stat yesterday about air yards traveled. All but four of Mississippi State's offensive plays, the guy that was given the football got it at the at seven yards past the line of scrimmage or closer. Se- we're, we're talking seven yards. Only four plays went further than seven yards in the air. Seven yards. Only four. That's next-level conservatism that's hard to kind of wrap your mind around. The overwhelming majority of Will Rogers' throws were at the line of scrimmage or just beyond the line of scrimmage. With that defense now fully intact, by the way, and now we're going to get to look or get a look at whether or not Perkins is actually playing the correct position. That They said last week that what they did against Florida State's not going to happen anymore. That's disappointing. I really was hoping that that LSU was going to kind of dig its heels in and say, by golly, we think he's going to be a better playmaker as a middle linebacker, and we don't care what you say about it. We're going to do it. Unless till the end of the month, right, Richard? Yeah, I mean, that that feels like yeah. an October adjustment. Kind of like last year, the adjustment I'm was, with you. I'm with Harold you. Perkins should play. And they made that adjustment, and it worked out pretty well. I feel like they should go, like, position change around the 1st of October for uh, for Harold Perkins this year. Uh, perhaps a quicker learner than that. He was di- – didn't he almost kill the, the quarterback from Grambling this past week? Like, not intentionally. Not like, not like with a knife I, or a gun. I just have like, not watched a highlight so of that hard. Game, so. Yeah, he didn't have a knife, is what you're saying? Okay, I got you. No, no, this was not a shiv issue. This was this was just good old clean football where he nearly broke someone in half. Sports Talk Mississippi. <laughs> more coming up with you right after this in the Pearl River Resort Studio. It's time for more Sports Talk Mississippi. Finally, finally. On Super Talk Mississippi, the Super Talk app, and at supertalk.fm. Reminding us of so many 
Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us in the Pearl River Resort studio. So the question on the table was what are you what are you looking for this weekend? What are you looking for in Mississippi State's game at home against LSU, the SEC opener for those two teams. Ole Miss's third game of the year, non-conference game against Georgia Tech, an improved Georgia Tech team with a different quarterback in Haynes King and a different head coach now in uh, in Brent Key. And, and frankly, a team that kind of gave one away in the season opener. Yeah, Georgia Tech should have won that game on that Friday night before the, the big opening Saturday against Louisville in, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They just should have. So, anything else, hey, Dad, on on the state game that you're looking for? Like I said, you know, I'm I'm interested to see if, if you know, no pun intended, if a Tiger can change his stripes. Barbe, you know, these first two games, we we haven't seen that vertical passing game that we saw a lot of in practice, that we saw a lot of in the spring game. Um... And I don't know if that's been a lot that's been limited by injury, you know, with Tulu and and uh, Zavion being out. Um, but I want to see more of that. I want to see more creativity. You know, I don't want to see this vanilla game plan because honestly, I think LSU is that's the wrong that's the wrong team to try that on. You know, I, I think based on the people I've talked to this week, feels like it State's game plan should be to come out passing and try to test that LSU secondary, which is one of the craziest things I've ever said. It's LSU we're talking about, but their secondary is a question mark. So test that early and then try to find the running game later on. It seems to be the right idea, but I I, ha, I have no idea what State's going to look like offensively. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe Barbe has played the the cards close to the chest and said, "Look, we're just gonna we're gonna vanilla it up these first couple of games and then we'll let it rip against LSU." I don't see that happening very often in college football, but we'll see if it happens this weekend. And doing that. And then losing to Arizona would have been a remarkably stupid thing. Would have been a was. terrible idea, but it, but you got through it. You you, you beat them, so maybe you, you get maybe you got yourself a chance to do it. I don't know. It's only two games. It's only two games. But the, this idea that the offense wasn't going to be any different—it's it's not it's just you know just a little different, not that much different after two games. So under Mike Leach in three years, Mississippi State. Here's your stat of the day: ran the football twenty-five percent of their offensive plays and had 51 pass attempts per game. How about that? That, Does that number surprise you? That number surprised me, that it was as high as 25%. But 25% of their plays were runs, 51 passes per game. Through two games, they run the ball 61% of the time and have thrown 23 passes per game. That, my friends, is a dramatic difference. And the 23 passes per game is because they threw it 30 times in the opener. And 17 last week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some of what you want to see on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Bubba in Meridian says, in the MSU-LSU game, can Mississippi State's offensive line move LSU's defensive line? It's a big test. Big test. Especially with you know, what's funny back. is you, you're talking again, talking to LSU people. LSU, Grambling had success on the ground against LSU in that game, early especially. They 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 broke off some large chunk plays on the ground, and 
LSU's defense is just – it just feels like they're a really good team that hasn't figured everything out yet. They don't have all the pieces in place yet on both sides of the ball. And we'll see if, if this weekend sort of helps them with that or if State can you know continue to, to keep them confused. Uh, another message, I think Miss, uh, LSU is about as confused about what Mississippi State is going to do offensively as everybody else is, which I think is a good thing. Are, are they confused, oh. though? I don't know that it really changes how they're going to defend Mississippi State. I mean, they've got two absolute studs on the defensive line, and so they don't have to blitz a ton. Apparently they decided that inside linebacker, middle linebacker, was not necessarily the best place for Harold Perkins to make plays, and so made an adjustment there. And uh, as we mentioned in the last segment, he nearly committed a homicide in the game. I, I, I shouldn't say it's not a good way to joke, but, I mean, just he was really good. He was really good. Um, Dwayne and Brandon says he is looking for State to throw the ball more and he is looking for Arnett to stay out of the offensive game plan. But isn't it more than just throw the ball more? I mean, because if those 17 attempts were 27 attempts and they were the same types of throws, you're still not beating LSU. If you're keeping everything at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage more times, guess what's going to happen? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's not about number of passes. It's about where those passes go. You know, Mississippi State fans, when Barbe was hired and throughout this offseason, have been promised verticality. It's time to show some of that. David says he, uh, what is he looking at? He's looking at Mississippi State at plus 290 on the money line. Okay. Um, you you want to see a bunch of... Uh... Bunch of people turn on Brian Kelly two games into year two. Ooh. Three games into year two, excuse me. Lose to Florida State the way they did and then lose to Mississippi State in your SEC opener. Um, I don't know what this has to do with what you're looking for on Saturday, but somebody says getting to our tailgate at 7 a.m. Saturday morning, the Bloody Marys will be flowing for the dogs. So, hey, sounds like a good morning. Good idea. There's a uh, There's a plan for you. I had a Grab good one of those on Saturday morning also. You can't beat a good Bloody Mary to start your day. You have a big old stalk of celery sticking out of it? Oh, no. See, I don't like that. I'm glad they didn't do that. I'd, I like the olives, personally. What about bacon? Oh, if they stick a piece of bacon in there, then yeah. But I, I pull it right out and eat it right away, though. I don't like the bacon that like kind of absorbs it too much. I, not for me. I'm not a Bloody Mary guy. Oh, you get all your vitamins right there. I mean, you, you really start. Now, your see, day. I, I, I have, I'll have a screwdriver and get all the the hundred percent of my vitamin C and a little buzz. Getting getting a little calcium, maybe. It's the calcium Depends rich, you get the, rich you gotta, orange juice. You got to get the OJ that's calcium rich. Yeah, exactly. Get the healthiest OJ you can, so that you know everything else is okay. David says he's old. Give him a mimosa. Okay. Uh, Justin right. Tuplo, a spicy green bean is the way to go in a Bloody Mary. Green beans. I've never. I don't know about that. What about like the pickled okra? Good. I'm I'm cool with that. But I, I really don't like right. the stuff inside of it. I mean, just give me a couple olives and a toothpick, 
And that's all I need. I, I, I like how they come. I, I'll add a little hot sauce in there if uh, whatever they used wasn't spicy enough. But I kind of like how they are. Uh, hey, Dad, Mike is proposing a wager to you on the ceasefire text line. He says he'll give 14 for any amount up to $100. So he's he's setting the line at, at 14 and that's 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 too that's too uh too low. I haven't quite heard uh hey dad like welcome a challenge this week. I, I feel like there's not don't, don't don't have a lot don't have a lot of uh belief on that. What one. what is the number that would entice you, hey dad? 21. Ooh. I was wondering if you were going to go 17. I'm, that's saying we're in the middle there. So, I'm not, I'm not in a betting mood. There you go. There you go. Let's um, let's turn the page to Oxford for a second. And obviously we don't have time to, to fully flesh this out. We'll carry it over. But in terms of what are you looking for from Ole Miss this week in their game against Georgia Tech, it, it has to start with offensive line play. It has to start with offensive line play. And, and two different things I'm looking for, right, is what have they decided they are this week? Have they decided that they are better than the way they played last Saturday? I think my, people are pointing to Micah Pettis. He was awful on Saturday. I mean, horrible. He has played better than that a season ago against better teams. So you you don't think that's his ceiling. At least there's one guy on that offensive line where it's like, you know he's better than that. Why he didn't play well and why he looked like that is another conversation. But do they think that that's who they are? Are they just going to be bad up front? And if so, how do they adjust? Is it short passes, screen games, stuff like that? Or do they believe that that's not them? They are better than that. Maybe a minor tweak here or there. And line up and just run the football at Georgia Tech. And if they do it that way, are they successful? If they are not, they're in trouble. You know, the one of the interesting things about what Ole Miss is doing on the offensive line right now is they're not necessarily playing the people that you thought they were going to play. Yeah. Right? I mean, you, you kind of expected to see Jaden Williams after the, the freshman season that he had a year ago out there on the offensive line, uh, and you haven't seen a whole lot of that. You kind of expected to see Eli Acker, and, and instead you've gotten Victor Kern at left tackle, and Acker's played a little bit, but there's been a lot of Quincy McGee there a- as well. So we'll see, and we'll pick this conversation up when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Pearl River Resort Studio. This is a place for crazy people. If it's sports in Mississippi, you'll hear about it here. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us. So, uh, the question, uh, what, are you, what are you looking for from Ole Miss this week? And, and I think most people 
are going to kind of start where we did just a second ago. And that's with, with offensive line play. It all kind of goes together, though. The offensive line and running game. So, Borky, I would use the same logic that you use with Mississippi State throwing the ball. If you throw it 27 times versus 17 times, but they're all short passes, is that necessarily an improvement in the passing game? Well, if, if Ole Miss in the running game were to break two long runs because of defensive busts, does that mean they ran the football well? Say so you had two carries that combined for 120 yards, and and you ended up running it for you know 160, 170 in the ball game. Does that mean you ran it well, or does that mean you just took advantage of a couple of busts? And and maybe it's kind of all the same thing. But what I'm looking for in terms of offensive line play is Ole Miss's ability to average four and a half yards per carry. And to be able to run the ball on first down and find themselves in second and five, seven and second and six, yeah, on a fairly regular basis. And and there are times, a lot of times over the last three years, where they've run on third down, third and medium, third oh, and long, and third, and third and eight, third and nine, a lot of times. Yeah, and it wasn't just running either; it was protection. And, and it, I keep harping on this. This. Well, put Sanders in because he's more elusive. Uh, one, that is, by a, any objective measure, not true. And two, Dart should have been sacked a dozen times in that game if he wasn't so good in the pocket. So it's not even just running the ball. It's can you protect? Can you allow your quarterback to have some time to read a defense and, and make throws where you didn't have that opportunity very often in New Orleans last week? He was not protected well. There were guys in his face almost immediately, way too often. So I've got a question for you, and maybe you as well, Hey Dad. I know you watched the game or were able to watch the Ole Miss game against Tulane more closely than I was, and Borky, you consumed every second of it and rewatched it, I think. There's not really much to be critical about in terms of the defense through two games, right? They give up the big play in the opener against Mercer for 75 yards, and then they allow like less than 20 yards rushing the rest of the game. And after Tulane had a pretty good start offensively, they locked down. They did. They're, they're, cl- what, the game closed out on a 30-3 to run. But, but, but here's the question I'm getting to. There are some guys that you thought that were going to be playing a lot that are basically getting no snaps on the defensive side, and there's some guys that you weren't necessarily sure that were going to play that much who are getting a lot of action on yeah. the defensive side. What, what does that mean? Like a Kalo Stone, for example. I mean, yeah. when he signed, it was like, you know, nice depth piece, and turns out he's playing a good bit. What I've noticed, because a lot of people did the, uh, well, where's Centarian Perkins? Why didn't he play? And one, because the more experienced linebackers didn't play poorly. So, you know, wondering where the freshman is is, is kind of goofy when the other guys didn't play poorly. And also... And they didn't do a ton of a ton of three linebacker stuff against no. Tulane. It was more four two five with a lot of nickel back in the game, and that's reflected when you look at the number of snaps that Dejon Anthony and John Saunders and Tasia Young got at the game. Yeah. But if you screw up, they don't play you. It's interesting. Aiden Williams is another example. So uh, offensive side of the ball, but there was a couple of plays where he was not on the same page with Jackson Dart, and they didn't go back to him. If I remember correctly, Centurion Perkins played early. Made a mistake, didn't see him again. 
if they can't trust you, especially when you're playing a team like Tulane, where you don't need to have somebody that is a supreme athlete. Like, Centurion Perkins is the most athletic linebacker they have. Without a doubt. He's the most athletic linebacker they have. But when you're playing Tulane, you don't have to have a bunch of five-stars to beat them. You need to be in the right spot and make plays. And so if they don't think that he's going to be in the right spot every time, that's going to cost you that game. Maybe down the road, maybe two weeks in Tuscaloosa, they decide, you know, you got to have a feast or famine here. You're playing Alabama. you got to have the most athletic guy on the field. If he screws up, he screws up. You're not supposed to win the game anyway. But they, if they don't trust you, they don't play you. And, yeah. and that's a, a rather consistent thing over the last three years in two games, is if you screw up, they're not going back to you. Uh, here's one. I'm looking for Ole Miss to control the line of scrimmage. Clearly control the line of scrimmage, particularly on the offensive line. Said so I thought that's where there were big periods where Tulane quite clearly looked to be better up front. And a couple of folks chiming in with a prediction. Uh, here's one. I predict that at the end of the year, Tulane will not be as good as Arizona. Arizona had two wide receivers that will be drafted in the NFL, and they play a much harder schedule than Tulane. And Tulane played their back. I don't know that we were necessarily comparing the caliber of opponent this past weekend, but okay. We'll be back. Steve Gent will join us next. We'll talk some golf with him. Sports Talk Mississippi. Your all-access pass to all things sports in Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. On the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week, moving closer to week three of the college football season. Coming to you, as always, from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Visit them online at pearlriverresort.com. All of our guests appear on the Farm Bureau guest line, but right now we've got Steve Gent in studio, in our Jackson studio. He's just hanging out with Michael Borky. Uh, he is the executive director of the Sanderson Farms Championship. Three weeks from tomorrow, PGA Tour will tee it up in Jackson, Mississippi, at the Country Club of Jackson once again. Steve, so good to see you. What's up, my man? Great to see you guys, too. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And it, I know you say three weeks from tomorrow, but we've got Media Day next week, Champions Day. Um, our Sunday night pairings party for the Loud Machinery Program is two weeks from Sunday. So I wish I had three more weeks. It would be, it'd be great. But uh, yeah. we're excited about Until it. they actually tee it up. Know, the first know, competitive know, ball will be struck three weeks from tomorrow. Yeah, Mike and I were just, talk, we were just talking about that, about how, you know, you know, four days of competition and one shot can make the difference between, you know, a two-year exemption and the Masters and and $1.476 million. So, it's, uh, so yeah, we're, we're ready to get it started. You brought up money, so let, let's start there. I was just sure. looking at some of the purses for PGA Tour events. Obviously, you've got the elevated events, and, and that's different. But yeah. this tournament, and hasn't always been this way, is now very close in terms of purse and winner's share to the farmers, right? 
to the Honda, to Valspar, to the Schwab, to the Rocket Mortgage, Fortinet, which is happening this week out on the uh, on the West Coast, right. the Shriners, which happens in a, in a few weeks, the week after you. So very much on a, a level playing field with a bunch of other tournaments that have been around for a really long time. Yeah, absolutely, and actually slightly higher than some other events that you know that I, I won't. I won't list because I've got some really good other tournament director friends. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we're right up there. A couple of things, you know, we have happened over the years. I remember when I got here 10 years ago, I think our purse was 3.6. Um, you know, we became a standalone event in 2019, so that really elevated the, the purse by just over $2 million. Um, the, the tour's new TV rights deal that kicked in in 2021 actually elevated all the purses about seven hundred thousand dollars and then we go up about three hundred thousand dollars every year so last year 7.9 now we're 8.2 um yeah it's it's amazing how uh, what's what's gone on with the purses in golf in the last few years i feel like because of the history of the sanderson farms championship we always talk a little bit about schedule Mm -hmm. and I suppose there's some unknown about the future schedule, and that's fine. But this year in particular, so you've got the tournament out in Napa this weekend, the Fortinet Championship. Right. Next weekend is completely open. Off, yep. The weekend after that, you've got the Ryder Cup, and and then you guys follow that. Right. It it feels like going three weeks or, or two empty weeks between for a lot of players maybe makes this even more attractive than it's been in other years for guys to say, sign me up, I want to play. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I've talked with a lot of the players about throughout this year, looking at the fall schedule since it was announced back in the spring. If you didn't get to Memphis or if you didn't get to Chicago for the for the BMW, um, you've been off for six or seven weeks, right? They are... At a certain point in time, I mean, the couch is comfortable. It's not that comfortable, and you know, it doesn't it, it doesn't make you any money sitting there. So, they're ready to get out and play. I like our week right after the Ryder Cup. Um, we may not get many of the Ryder Cup players, um, but everybody else has been home for now for almost two weeks, ready to start the season. The two weeks after us are Shriners in Vegas, and then Zozo in Japan. So, and then another week off. So you could easily start your fall season with go us Vegas Japan, and then have a week off, and then kind of pick and choose where you want to finish. But you know, with with what they're doing now with the FedEx Cup points and the and the signature events, if you didn't, you know, the top fifty players are now guaranteed into those signature events next year, the eight tournaments. Um, if you weren't in that top fifty, you certainly don't want to come out of the fall. You know, um, you you want to be fifty one through sixty coming out of the fall. So I think there's a lot of incentive for guys to play in the fall because the top ten at the end of the fall get into the first two signature events, which is Riviera and you know or Pebble and Riviera. So lot to play for. I think I think guys are you know I think I lo- again I love our date. I think guys are gonna really to, ready to get out there. So are are you ahead of where you normally would be in terms of? filling out your field or is this and and again yeah. as a reflection of the calendar because guys haven't been playing and, and they don't have anything for the next couple of weeks a lot of them no i think we're a pre- i think we might be slightly behind but i think it's just because we wanted to get kind of i think guys want to get past labor day weekend and now they're going to start to take a look at their schedule i think we'll see a lot more happen in the next couple of weeks i like where we are right now uh, you know i brought i printed out the field as it stands before i walked out of the office 20 minutes ago but you know we've got six past champions four major winners 
Uh, all the, the three of the players that are here from Mississippi, Chad Ramey, Hayden Buckley, Davis Riley, are in the field. 26 players in our field have won in the last two years. So we, it's it's very, very strong. And I think it could I think it could get stronger. So now guys have had some time off and they go, hey, I'm ready to kind of start thinking about the fall schedule. I think we'll see a lot in the next couple of weeks. Is this the best year that collectively pros from the state of Mississippi have had on tour and then kind of rolling into to the Sanderson Farms Championship? Yeah, I, I I don't know about ever. I'd have to go back and take a look when, you know, you got guys like Jim Gallagher Jr. And, you know, there are several that have played. Maybe in terms of where they started or where they finished the season FedEx Cup point-wise, yeah. I mean, it's those three guys alone. Um, you know, Davis won last year in New Orleans. Um, you've got Chad won the year before. I think Hayden's finished second. At, I mean, he, I, you know, he, he, Hayden not could, he's not going to. He's going to win. You know, within the next short period of time. So, yeah, it could it could be the strongest we've seen a collective group of young guys from the state for sure. Have you ever had a, a native Mississippian win the event? I mean, we. Uh, you gosh, you'd have to go back and 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 look at the. I'm not sure if we have. Yeah, but not um, in recent memory, at least. No, not here recently. Um, we've had a lot play, and then someone's going to probably call and go, "Yeah, Jen's not thinking of this guy." But um, I can't think of anybody native Mississippian here off the top of my head right now, unless unless there's just something obvious that I'm missing. So um, yeah. it'd be really great for one of those three. Like I say, I think again, Hayden. Any of those would be great. Any of the 144. I love all the guys that are coming in our field. I can't pick favorites, but to have one of those win, this one would be pretty cool. Look, anybody that wins a golf tournament on the PGA Tour is a really, really good golfer. We're talking about one of the elite in the entire world. But yeah. your recent champions have been pretty special. I mean, you, you think about Mackenzie Hughes a year ago and kind of where he's been for the last few years on tour and, and you know, Cam Champ a few years back. Yeah. And, and Who's just back, several yep, of these guys. back this year. Yeah, I mean, if you go... You know, McKenzie, Sam, right, Burns, who's from two and a half hours away. Sure. Um, you know, in, in the COVID year, we had Sergio, Sebastian before that. And, um, yeah, you know, and look what Nick Taylor did this last year, right? Won our first uh, one at the Country Club in 14, uh, goes on and first Canadian in 50-something years to win the Canadian Open. Uh, I mean, he's had a nice little run here. Um, and that was one of the great scenes from oh all gosh. of last year in, we, in professional. We golf. put a billboard up like that Monday after with him, you know, the picture of him jumping into his caddy's arms. And, you know, they, they went into extra holes. It was just some cool golf. And, uh, you know, the excitement level up there was was pretty neat. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, our, our champions here in the last 10 years or so have done, have done really well. When will you publish the full list of, of the field? Um, we kind of wanted to let it get settled. We're, we're announcing a few people on social media. We should have it up on the website before too long. I kind of hate to throw too, you know, hate to post it too early when there may be still some movement at the bottom. But we'll uh, we'll get up here probably in the next next few days, and we'll uh, right. we'll see where it goes. So so it's uh, it's coming soon. Yes. Uh, visiting with Steve Gent, executive director of the Sanderson Farms Championship. We'll spend one more segment with him after the uh, the break coming up in uh, in just a couple of minutes. But um, in terms of fans. Folks in the Jackson metro area, North Mississippi, from the coast, the Pine Belt, wherever they're coming, that, that are making plans to uh, to come 
and be a part of the event this year. What do they need to know at, at this point? Yeah, I mean, everything that you would want to know is on our website, SandersonFarmsChampionship.com. Um, we try to make it really easy for fans, right? Um, I think everyone's used to the electronic ticketing. Everything is just going to be right on your phone. Um, parkings at North Park Mall. Quick five, maybe ten minute shuttle ride versus maybe what you see at some other events and tournaments. Uh, we're going to have great food, great concessions. We've got something for everybody. We've got a really good good fan zone next to the the 18th green, right there on Cypress One, where we've got jumbotrons to watch, you know, football and golf on the weekend. We've got a, kind of a fun little six hole putting course for kids. Um, you've got uh, the outpost for our first responders. And military out on the 10th, um, courtesy of Trustmark and the folks at Gertrude Ford Foundation. We've got the Fan Pavilion back on 12, which is an upgraded ticket. Um, you've got a really cool Mick Ultra deck on 13 where there's 96 calories in a Mick Ultra. And if a player on that par 3 hits it within 96 inches, um, as long as you've bought that Mick Ultra tumbler, refills are a buck for the next 10 minutes. Um, there you go. And, you know, the, and the course is just incredibly walkable for spectators and you know you can see a lot of vistas it's just a a fun you know easy walk great golf course we just try to do some things to make it make it fun for for all of our spectators we'll talk about the golf course coming up next visiting with steve gent this is sports talk mississippi happening in mississippi sports you'll hear about it first right here sports talk mississippi Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, continuing our conversation with Steve Jip, Executive Director of the Sanderson Farms Championship, which is, uh, depending on who you ask, either three weeks from tomorrow when it begins or it starts in like a week and a half, uh, at least in terms of how busy yeah. Steve Jent is going to be between now and then. Always appreciate some of your time. I, I said going to the break, let's talk about the golf course. Sure. Um, players have raved about the course in recent years, yeah. especially the greens. The uh, the grounds crew at, at CCJ does an incredible job in conjunction uh, with some of the people from the uh, from the PGA Tour. Yeah. Uh, what what kind of condition is the course? And I I feel like I mean it was dry in Jackson for yeah. for a long stretch of the summer. There's no getting around that. What kind of shapes it in? Yeah, then it's still dry, right? I mean, I, I mean, it was raining as I walked in here, and I mean we just wanted to keep raining. But um, the golf course is great. Uh, the CCJ has its own well system, so they've been able to water the golf course. And they're, um, thank, you know, thank you to all the members. I know they've been on cart path here for a couple of weeks to try to keep, you know, keep the rough really good. If it gets dry and you go through some of the areas, you, you, um, you know, you, you, you risk damaging the rough, but, um, it, it's in, it's going to be in really great shape. Stanley Reedy and his crew of assistants just do a phenomenal job getting it ready. Um, and that's what the players, you know, talk about all year long when I see him at other events. It's like, Steve, man, those are the best greens on tour. Now we might have the best fairways on tour. Uh, put a sprinkler system in about five years ago that w- will water the rough, but not the landing area. And uh, these guys want it firm and fast. And it's just, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really good. Um, there's there's some dry spots, obviously. You, you just can't get around it in, in this weather. But the course where they're going to play, I think, is in really good shape. It's going to be great. It's, uh Certainly, uh, reason to uh, reason to be excited. How long will it play for the tournament? 
Um, you know, it's kind of funny week in and week out on the tour. I mean, they it's never really played from the tips every hole all day long, right? So I'd have to go back and look at it. I mean, they're probably playing honestly somewhere 72, 7300. I mean, I think it plays 75 something and change, but if you wanted to, but, um, yeah, they, they don't, you know, they'll move things up and back and 15's a drivable four you can move up and, um, you know, there's a new T on threes that makes that really long, but, um, from a couple years ago, but yeah, they'll never play it from the tips every hole, all four days. So, um, but it's in that range somewhere. You, you mentioned uh, a second ago the, the membership and kind of what they have to go through because this is this is their golf course and they kind of turn it over for obviously for the tournament but not just for tournament week. You've told us before about the build out and you know putting the grandstands in and the mm-hmm. tents in and all the hospitality areas and the um, uh, the merchandise tent and just all the stuff that goes into it. Walk us through how long. It takes to do that. Yeah, we start. It's about an eight week process for us. I mean, our build is you know there's there's tournaments like Phoenix that start probably six weeks before you know, or six months before, four months before yeah. the tournament. But for us, with our level of build in our community, we start about eight weeks. Um, this week it was a week later because we're a week later, so we started about the second week in in August. Equipment starts to come in from our vendor, Schaefer Sports, comes in from their boneyard in Houston and Birmingham and. And then, um, so it's about an eight week, you know, you start with the deck and the scaffolding and the tents finally go up and now interiors and all the little details. And then it takes us about a month where, I mean, we're, we want to tear down as fast as we can because we want to get out of the membership's way. And, and our, our, you know, Schaefer Sports wants to get to the next job. They don't want their guys, you know, the, the faster they can build up and the faster they can tear down, the faster they can move on to the next job. So, um, but it's about, it's about a four week tear down between the time we actually have the last piece off the golf course, um, so it's a you know a three month installation and 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 teardown. You know Augusta is one of the the most unique places on planet Earth, but I've always heard stories about you know that last weekend before they completely closed down the course to the members, and and you know it's the, the members want to play it in as close to tournament conditions as they can. Um, does that opportunity exist for for some of the people at CCJ that kind of last day before it completely turns over to to you guys? Yeah, I mean they play up until I guess dark on it'll I guess it'll be Sunday September twenty fourth I guess whatever a week from Sunday is and then it'll close for a week, which it really makes a huge difference to how that golf course is for the players when they do finally arrive. Um, but, yeah, they can play right up to the And then the Cypress 9, you know, there's 27 holes out of CCJ, so the right. Cypress 9 is still open for that week. So the membership still has the opportunity to go out and play. It's just on the Cypress 9 for those last six or seven days there. Um, yeah, we appreciate the membership. What they do allows us to make a great impact to charity, allows us to make an impact to the state, to their club. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's greatly appreciated to have that extra week before the week of the tournament. Steve Gent visiting with us, uh, for a couple of more minutes talking golf as uh, we get ready for the Sanderson Farms Championship coming up, uh, in two and a half weeks, three weeks from tomorrow, the opening tee shots for the, uh, for the competitive rounds for the, the PGA Tour pros. Um, charity has been a really big part of this, Century Club Charities, and there are a lot of organizations uh, in the state of Mississippi, specifically in the Jackson metro area, that have benefited greatly from from this golf tournament, none more than Children's of Mississippi. Right. Uh, wh- where are we 
on that in terms of donations that are, are going to the hospital? What happened last year, and, and what do you anticipate? Yeah, I get that question all the time. It's like, how how are we looking this year? And I'm like, I don't I don't know. I'm not done yet, right? Um, <laughs> we're at two and a half weeks to go. We deal we do still have seven Wednesday pro am teams available. If anybody out there is uh, in in the market for a pro am team, but I would tell you, hospitality has gone very well. Uh, both, you know, in the in the private and semi-private areas, uh, you know, we don't really know how we're going to do merchandise-wise. Although I think we have the best merchandise on the PGA Tour. Everyone loves the Rooster logo. Um, Women's Day, we've got a great Women's Day luncheon this year with Aaron Brockovich as our guest speaker. That is almost sold out. And we really, really, you know, don't really know until afterwards when we count gate. Fan pavilion, concessions, everything like that. So I think we're on track to have another really, really good year. Um, you know, we're, we, we try to be good stewards of the expenses and, you know, hope that the community comes out in a big way and supports it. Um, and, um, we'll find out here. It takes us, gosh, by the time we get bills and, and then we get paid, it, it takes almost a Thanksgiving until we really know exactly what kind of year we have. But I think we're on track for another, you know, historically, really, really good year. So, and what was it? Uh, was it late January last year when um, the the Century Club Charities Group handed over a million dollar check to, to Children's of Mississippi? Is that right? Yeah, we tend to do it kind of. We kind of look at January and see kind of where we can fit in and kind of have our our own day on the news cycle, right? So, but it tends to be kind of mid to late January. And yeah, another one point one to Children's through friends, and um, another four hundred thousand. To about another fifty plus Mississippi charities like Stew Pot, First Tea, um, you know, Make a Wish, Mustard Seed. I mean, just just a variety. Magnolia Speech School. There's just it, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, it's you know, I know you know a million dollars to the hospital is a, a big deal, but for some of these charities, for us to be able to give a check for five thousand or seven thousand or three thousand yeah. dollars, it it's a big deal. So we want to about eighty percent of it will always go to children's, but we really want to impact everybody in the community if we can. Last thing for you, um, the, the the bus that we ride in and out every year is is the same bus that the volunteers for the uh, event ride out. You have an incredible right. volunteer staff and, and a lot of people that come back year after year after year. Is there an opportunity still if somebody wants to get involved, or is that passed for this no, year? We will, that we will, ne- we will never turn down help. I mean, we I would tell you that we've been very fortunate that a lot of our local corporate partners also take responsibility for a whole. So Atmos Energy will sponsor a whole, and Regions Bank will sponsor a whole, and, again, Friends of Children's Hospital will do a whole. Um, but there's always opportunities for singles to, to kind of – or two people to get in together and, and go here and there. Um, we will never turn that down. That, that information is on the website, too, SandersonFarmsChampionship.com. Actually, this week we've got uniform distribution going on at our office while we speak. It started Monday from, from 10 to 6 every day, so it's been fun to see all the volunteers come in and get their hat and their shirt and their jacket. We've had uh, we've had Chick Fil A chicken sandwiches out there at lunch every day for them, and uh, it, we can't do it without them. It takes about a thousand volunteers, but yeah, if you if you have the itch to spend you know four hours out on a gorgeous day watching the 144 of the best players in the world, we will sign you up. So have you have you ordered up the weather yet? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be exactly like last year. There won't be a cloud in the sky. It's going to be like 55 at night, you know, maybe 80, 81 during the day. That's, that's what the order is for. So, yeah. um, no, nah, I think I, it will be a week later, so it might be a, a little chillier, a little, you know, a little drier. Um, 
I think it's good. I think it's gonna be great. Things gonna be awesome. One of the lasting images for me. I was uh, I was filling in for Paul Gallo, so we had the six a.m. start on uh, on Friday morning uh, for his show. So I got to the golf course, at, you know, a little bit after five. And as I kind of crested the hill uh, by the clubhouse, coming down to where we were set up uh, yeah. a year ago, and, and saw that uh, the the convoy of lawnmowers with lights coming yeah. up the fairway. Just a, a really, really cool look. So many people work so hard, and including you, Steve. We appreciate, as always, your Thank time. You. I, I we appreciate wish you, you guys the best. Being here. Yep. And can't wait to be there with you. Thank you. Looking forward to seeing you. And um, again, SandersonFarmsChampionship.com is everything you want to know about the tournament. And we'll see everybody out there in a couple weeks. Thank you. Sounds great. You can get your tickets there as well. SandersonFarmsChampionship.com. It's Steve Jim, Executive Director of the Sanderson Farms Championship. We'll take a timeout. More coming up with you right after this. Talk Mississippi on the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm. Good visit with uh, Steve Jett. From the Sanderson Farms Championship, always look forward to that. We will be there with you on, help me out, guys, Thursday, Thursday right? Yeah, Thursday. Opening Thursday round day. the 5th. Opening round day of the tournament, and uh, always enjoy being there. Such a great setup. Beautiful golf course. Players love it. Great for fans. Great for spectators. Huge volunteer turnout. Weather typically good. Knock on wood. Uh, Knock on wood. I spent my Sunday last year at the uh, Michelob Ultra Tent hoping for guys to hit the ball within 96 inches of the hole. And uh, that was awesome. I mean, it got to a point where, you know, there's only one golf tournament. Uh, There's two. Where players get booed for bad shots. It's a waste (laughs) management and it's a Ryder Cup slash President's Cup. It got to a point where there were seven, eight groups in a row that hit really bad shots into 14, and that <laughs> that last group that came through and nobody got close, there was an audible, oh, these guys are worthless. But you do. I've still got the tumbler. I use it all the time. It is, it's, it's got that really nice logo etched into it. And you spend less on that tumbler than you would like at Walgreens when you're buying your 10th one because you lost the first nine. That's uh, it's pretty good. That's one of your favorite weekends of the year, right? I really, I really enjoy it because I love the self-awareness about it. Like, the Saints play that Sunday at noon. I will be able to watch the Saints game on a screen with the golf tournament in the background. Not a screen that I have to bring. Not my phone. No. You will get to sit. You don't have to pay extra. If you're in the door, you can do this. You can sit next to the 18th fairway and watch the Saints game on one screen. Big screen, by the way. And NFL red zone on the other, and watch the guys hit their second shots into 18. You can do that the entire day. That's pretty awesome. It, the, the, very self-aware. It's football season in the South. Don't compete, just embrace. And they do that. And it, it's actually a really fun day. Super cool. Hey, that even likes being there. You had a big time last year when we were there for those, uh, those two days last year. Yeah. It's golf is sort of like anything else when it's live, right? Like I don't watch a lot of hockey, but I'll go to a hockey game. 
I'd be willing to bet going to a tennis match would be interesting. You know, you go to the golf course and you get to see all that stuff. Yeah, that's cool. I have a friend who has been to the U.S. Open maybe twice. I think he's been twice. And he says it's the coolest sporting event that he's ever been to. Tell him at the U.S. Tennis Open in New York at, at Flushing Meadows. He's been to a night session, and he, he's he been to been to a Super Bowl, been to a bunch of big college football games, some NFL games, NBA games, hockey games. Um, he's been to the Masters. So he, he's got a good list of, like, reference points, and he said it's the coolest event that he's ever attended in person. So for what that's worth, yeah, I guess that, uh, that certainly makes some sense. Somebody said the Ryder Cup is also that weekend, so there will be a lot of TV watching on that Saturday. No, the Ryder Cup is the weekend before. Not the same week. You have the Ryder Cup in Rome, and then the following weekend it's the Sanderson Farms Championship in Jackson. I will be interested to see if if anybody that plays in the Ryder Cup, Borky, decides to come and play in Jackson the next week. It would be really cool. That would be cool. You know, the, the guys that automatically qualified, probably not coming. You, you might get a captain's pick or two. So you got Justin Thomas, who struggled this year. He was a captain's pick. Controversial by some, but his Ryder Cup record's so good. Kind of makes sense. He plays at the Fortinet this week. And if he were to happen to play well and then play well at the Ryder Cup, I wouldn't be shocked if he said, you know what, I got a little momentum. I need to keep this thing going, try to kind of round back into form. I wouldn't be shocked if you ended up with a Justin Thomas and Jackson. Yeah, and, and then that'd in, be a big deal. In the future as well. So it, with the way they have keeping your card and stuff laid out moving forward, the fall swing is going to become more and more important. No question. You heard what Steve was saying as well. I mean, you finish the previous year in the top 50, you're automatically in the elevated events. Those are the big money events that the PGA, those eight events. And then 61 through 70 at the end of the fall swing also are included in those events going forward. So you got to so play? It's gotta, yeah. It's a, uh, a great opportunity. All right. So uh, that's it for the golf today. Let's uh, let's get back to uh, some college football. Cole Kubelik will join us to start the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, always, I, I know not everybody looks forward to it as based on some of the stuff. Oh, that's can, happening can we online. can we talk about that? Let's do that before Cole is. That's here, that's, for that's sure. why I'm yeah because it's making its rounds again. Cole and Tom and Jordan are calling their first Ole Miss game since the Arkansas game last year, and that Arkansas game where Ole Miss was getting blown out by Arkansas, and they talked about the Kiffin to Auburn stuff, and. There was a period in that broadcast where they talked about specific Ole Miss players that Kiffin would bring with him to Auburn and how they would fit at Auburn. That is a thing that happened. That happened. Yep. At the time, we talked about it, and I called it deeply unprofessional. It is still deeply unprofessional. Based on the statement that was read at the beginning of the Egg Bowl, tells me that there was some internal, don't do that crap again. But I could be wrong. I don't know. It just... Reading that statement the way they did told me that people heard and didn't like. But Cole Kublik did not participate in that part of the conversation. So he's getting all this all this stuff on Twitter. And there's even a clip being shared around. Actually, Cole, you did. He does not at any point. And I went back and watched, listened myself 
He at no point mentioned an Ole Miss player that Lane Kiffin would take with him to Auburn if he went. In fact, Cole even during the broadcast gave the like the pros of why he should stay at Ole Miss. Like, if you want to be mad at people, there are two people on that broadcast that I understand that you should be mad at. Because, the, again, the clip's floating around on Twitter if you want to find it again. I can't believe that that happened on a broadcast on the SEC Network. Very unprofessional. It, it was. But but the bigger issue, well, Ole Miss fans would not necessarily agree with this. But as somebody who works in the, the television business also, I thought the broadcast itself was not good. It was bad. Now, the, game, the, the game did not lend itself to it being a good broadcast because it was a, a one-sided blowout and it was out of hand in the second half and late in the year and cold and all the stuff. So, so the game itself didn't help. And to defend what they were doing with the on-field broadcast, they were trying to take a game that didn't have just a whole lot of juice going into it outside of the fan bases and tried to do something different. And so they took a shot and it didn't work out. And I have been told that that will not happen again, that you're not going to see another game where you got the broadcasters hanging out on the field and sitting in the stands and sharing popcorn with fans and whatever else. Yeah. And, you know, two but things could have like, prevented that happening was Ole Miss not getting blown out and Lane Kiffin not flirting with Auburn for two months. You know? Uh, sure. Uh, that that also is a factor there. But everybody's mad at Cole because he's the Auburn guy that was on that broadcast. But I'm telling you, go back and listen and know it was not edited because you can see the clock on the game. He didn't participate in that part of that conversation, and I think that's a very important thing. Yeah, I agree. So we will um, – Jeff and Grandis says, how's that different from your show? You guys are paid to give your opinion. doesn't matter whether I like your opinion or not. Eh, when it's a game broadcast, it's a different deal. Hey, Dad, wouldn't you agree with different. that? I, I totally agree with that. When you are broadcasting a game, there's a lot less about opinion in that. You know, if you're giving opinion, it's about, you know, balls and strikes or play calling or whatever. But as far as, like, big-picture college football stuff, I, I, I would think that that's something you want to – I don't know about shy away from. I understand that, you, you know, the guys on that broadcast, they needed to talk about that it looks like at that point Kiffin was trending towards Auburn. you got to have that discussion because it, it fits into the game, right? It yeah. fits into why is Ole Miss playing so poorly? Well, you know, maybe they're distracted because their coach is, is is entertaining this other job. But to go that far into it is is a bit odd. And to to add to that, our paychecks are not written by Ole Miss or Mississippi State. That's right. The, that w- was broadcasted on the Southeastern Conference Network. And they were talking about one team from the Southeastern Conference taking players from another team in the Southeastern Conference on the Southeastern Conference network. That that but, changes things. But but to your point, none of those three guys are paid by the SEC. No, but they are they, on. They are employed by and paid by ESPN and Disney. And we're on the SEC network. That that yes, that part of it is absolutely true. It is. So it wasn't good, and I. Sure that deep down they'd like a redo on it, but you don't get a redo. And um, I have said and continue to say I, I don't think there's anybody that works harder or does a better job in terms of breaking down things, especially from kind of the perspective of linemen, than Cole does. So 
uh, we'll talk with him coming up in just a little bit and always look forward to that. Yeah, we're, we're not going to – last time he was on, I told him we're never going to do that again. We're not going to talk about it ever again, but – hey, are you okay? Yes, I just – I whacked my mac- my microphone there, and I was like, what the hell's going on? So, All right, we're good. We're all good like, here. Sounded like thunder. Sports Talk Mississippi that's, with you in the Pearl podcast. River Resort. We'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour coming up next. Sports talk in the state. It's the best thing. Say that again. We the best on three. One, two, three. We the best. Sports talk Mississippi. Super talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. You can find Genteel at their website, genteelapparel.com, or uh, at men's specialty stores across the state of Mississippi, including at Harry Meyer Clothing, uh, Clothier in Meridian, Landry's in Oxford, SF Aldwin in Gulfport, Smith & Company in Greenwood, Steve's on the square in Philadelphia, and the country gentleman in Greenville. We'll tell you more about or where more of those stores are coming soon. I'll, I'll add one right now because we got a text about it earlier. A guy said he bought a, a new Genteel interlocking MSU polo at George Sherman's here in Starkville. So they got a, a good shipment of Genteel polos in. So if you're here in Starkville with me, go check that out. You better there run because those won't stay on the shelf. Very They're going to go. They're going to go. Yeah, they were working. They were doing some website update stuff. Let's see if they've got them available. Genteel is doing the interlocking MSU. I'm not sure that they are available on the website. If that's the shirt that you're looking for, you can contact them directly and tell them, and they will, uh, they'll get it in the order system. They've got plenty of the script state. Got it on a, a maroon Pinstripe shirt, solid white shirt. Uh, they've got the interlock or the uh, M over S logo on a bunch of different colors, including the uh, the baseball pattern shirt and uh, a whole lot more. So uh, whether and, and it's not just Mississippi State stuff, right? You can get Alabama, Auburn, Clemson, Kansas State, the Raging Cajuns, Louisiana Tech, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Texas A and M, Texas Tech, Troy, Southern Miss. Got tons of stuff that is available for you as they continue to grow across the uh, collegiate apparel landscape. So, very cool stuff. Gentilapparel.com, by the way, uh, over $150, get free shipping, and get 10% off just for entering your email address when you nice. order online at gentilapparel.com. Do they have any trench coats? I've got to – can I please play this audio? I know it's not sports, but I have to. So, you know how there's been that two-week-long manhunt for that escaped – Prisoner in Pennsylvania, the guy that like Spider-Man his way out of out of prison, and has been evading capture for two weeks, somehow, some way, like even broke into a guy's home and stole a gun from his home, and they still didn't catch him for a while. Anyway, they caught him finally, thanks to the uh, the savvy work of a uh, Belgian Malinois. Malinois is how you say the dog's name. Anyway, they caught him, and they had a press conference today. 
uh, about catching him. And he, he is a tiny man. I mean, he is five feet even, 110 pounds, I believe, is his height and weight. A very small man. Here was a question at the press conference today. Well, sir, was there any concern that he would team up with another small man to step inside the trench coat, little rascal style? No. So in case you couldn't hear that question, the audio is a little tough. The question is, <laughs> sir, was there any concern he would team up with another small man to step inside a trench coat, little rascal style? <laughs> you know, it's a serious matter, this, this arrest, but at the same time, that's funny. Gosh. Hey, the, the, the person that was answering questions... Didn't um, he didn't think it was funny, and they kicked the guy out right away. <laughs> I bet. I mean, there people have been joking for you know very dangerous criminal, but you know how the internet works. People are joking that you know they're not searching in the right places; they're looking in the woods where he's probably just hiding at daycare. Jeez. Oh. <laughs> Borky pointed this out to me on the ceasefire text line. I guess I missed it a minute ago. Richard, what year did you play at Oxford High School? I played at Starkville from 76 to 78. We beat down on Oxford every year. So I graduated in 1999. My senior season was the fall of 98, and I told the gentleman on the text line, congrats on your wins 45 years ago. He said, I'm not picking on Oxford. We beat down on everybody. And he says, before you start hating on me, I played college football for yours truly, Billy Brewer, at Southeastern Louisiana. He signed me and other kids in 78, Starkville High, great coach. Love Billy Brewer. So did I. So did I. Dog Brewer was the best. A lot of, lot of fun. So, um, very good. Having some uh, having some funs, uh, fun on the ceasefire text line. Uh, Dwayne says, I think two heads in the trench coat would have tipped someone off. I think Dwayne well, you, 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 you stack up. Yeah, you yeah, stack like, up. You, you, one guy on, on shoulders. Yeah. Top on shoulders. Dwayne's never seen yeah. Little Rascals. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's, great that's, that's a shame. What great a TV great show. Great movie. Yeah. I've never seen the movie. I've seen the TV You've show. You've never seen the movie? Oh, the movie. Like the you, 20s. It, no. You know, a, a gentleman your age watching Little Rascals on your own is, you know, a, a little weird. But no, it's not. <laughs> a gentleman my age, you say? Uh, my age too. Like I'm not going to go home and watch Little Rascals tonight. But it is a, it's a classic. <laughs> Let me Google Little Rascals streaming. What, what is? Oh, it's on Hulu. I, I, Dear I get Darla, that. I hate your stinking guts. Oh, Darla, uh, y- yeah. We'll visit with uh, Cole Kublik coming up next. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studio. We'll be right back. Sports Talk. Sports Talk Mississippi. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Wednesday, the 13th of September. Thanks for being with us. Alongside Brian Haydad and Michael Borky, I'm Richard Cross, coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Ceasefire text line is open at 601-879-4395. Going to push the college football fix back just a bit today. 
to visit right now with Cole Kublik from the SEC Network and Jocks FM in Birmingham and also co-host of a new show on the SEC Network, uh, Read and React. That's on Monday nights. It's um, it's exactly what you would think it is. It's a recap of some of the interesting stuff from the college football weekend prior. Cole, appreciate, as always, your time. Um, let's start looking back to last Saturday night in Starkville. What you saw in that game from Mississippi State, especially offensively, is it what you expected to see? I think a lot of it was, Richard. Um, I mean, you're, you're making that shift. You're going to be a run-heavy offense, a run-first offense. Now, I think we made it pretty clear later in the game that we were all kind of surprised that, that Will wasn't given a little more opportunity to maybe help Mississippi State go take that game, especially after reporting that I heard him over there saying while he was warming up, like, just give me the ball. I want to take this thing. I want to go get this thing. And then when I asked him about it after the game, he confirmed it. Like, yeah, I wanted a chance to go win the football game. And, you know, I think it's pretty cool that the quarterback wants to put that on himself. It wants the game in his hands. And uh, I, I expected maybe a, a, a little bit more through the air. But stylistically, from a formation standpoint and, and you know, what plays they ran, things like that, that's, that, that's about what I anticipated it to be. I mean, that's, that's what I had seen in the past, and, and I thought that's what the majority of it would look like once this season got going. So there are a lot of Mississippi State fans that this week, you know, throughout text messages and Twitter and everything else have said to us their hope is that what they've done offensively the first two weeks has been vanilla and that Mississippi State is holding something back for LSU, that they're going to push the ball down the field more. Do do you believe that that's a possibility, or do you think what you've seen for the first two weeks is what you're going to get? No, it's absolutely a possibility. It's it's in the offense. I I think shot plays are there. I think a little of this was by design. You you think about the fact that you you, you get into a game and you get a couple of turnovers, it probably you get the feeling that this thing's going to be um, you know, a win that you can kind of sit on. You, you slow your- well, well. Do you think the um, the Mississippi State people it's just still there? It is. Yeah, there I, I think I- we lost you for a second. We we got you back now. That's all good. I'm sorry about that. But I I think the offense is absolutely capable of it. I do think some is being held. I, I do think some is not wanting to show things. I think some was the way that the game went very early where they didn't just put their foot on the gas. And, you know, I don't know if that's, that's the style of football team that they're going to be, but it's definitely there. I mean, the, there, there's an array of routes. There's a, there's a complex route tree that comes with this offense that can be called. Um, it's just that we didn't see a ton of it Saturday night. And I, and I don't know if that's ever going to be what they are first and foremost, but that's, the, that's why they want to run stretch. That's why they want to run toss. That's why they want to run counter, is to set those things up. You, you had a football coach that talked like a football coach to you in the postgame interview on Saturday night. That was uh, that, that certainly made its rounds quickly. <laughs> he, he's a lot of fun to hang out with. He, he is, and I've, I've tried to tell people, you know, I've had some folks that have done their first TV game with him. They're like, man, that dude's tough, man. He's hard. I got, he, we didn't get anything. And I was like, well, next time you have him, just talk football. I was like, because that's his love language. And like, that'll, that'll get him going. And so it's something that I think we kind of focused on the first few times we had him because he was a little bit gruff the first time. And then once, once you get, once you get him talking football, he's good to go. I, I love hanging out with him. I love talking football with him. I love being down there on the sideline with him. Like, cause, because I just think he's real. I mean, the intensity is real. 
the knowledge is real. Um, the focus is real. I mean, he he legitimately was sitting down there. I reported it on the game. But like, he was looking dead at me in the eye, yelling at me like, this game's over. The game is over. Game is over. And I was like, Coach, I'm not running the replay. But <laughs> I, I appreciate what you're saying. Like, I have no influence on where this goes. But that's just the kind of guy he is, man. He's fiery. And um, I, I, you can see why the players love playing for him. Hey, last thing for you on Mississippi State. So I did the the Syracuse game this past weekend, and Dino Babers has kind of a love affair with the the three three five. He he tried to hire Zach Arnett. Arnett ends up going to Mississippi State. He hires oh I can't remember the guy's name. Ends up getting Rocky Long on his staff now. Western Michigan, the defense they were running, um, Lou Esposito had played for Jolie Dunn at Memphis. Jolie Dunn's name kept coming up. It was just kind of this weird confluence of people talking about that defense. I see it happening in more places across college football. What is it about that three-three-five Rocky Long, Jolie Dunn, kind of coming back into vogue is difficult for offenses? Yeah, the first thing, Richard, is it is a – it is a bear to identify. And so you, you think about normally you're going to have a nose guard head up on you. So a lot of what you want to do when you identify defense is you want to even out the front. You want to split the defense. And a lot of that's based through protection where we have a point linebacker and say it's 55 and he's off the ball right over the center. So I'm a, I designate him my point linebacker. We know we have him and everything left in, in pass protection. The quarterback in the back are responsible for everything right. We're not We're not helping over there. That's sort of how you even things up in protection. Now, we could go a step further, and actually Coach Arnett and I had a long conversation about this, the epidemic in our college football world right now that is slide protection and gap protection that people are overly reliant on because they don't trust their offensive lines to try to block people. But that's a whole other show for a whole other day. Uh, When you put a zero nose on me, now – my point linebacker immediately is going to be offset. So it's probably going to be to the right, yet we're going to be hot left. Well, that means I'm going to probably have to pull the left guard, the right guard to come work with me, even though we're working left. So it just, it forces things to not be evened out. And then in the run game, you know, having that player over the center is tough to deal with because if he plays front side, we're going to the right and he stays in the a gap to the right. I better be able to reach him and I better be able to handle him. If not, you know, my, my, my front side guard's got to stay with me. Well, that's going to keep him from going up on the back. And if my backside guard can't get in there to help me and he's kind of playing things backside, well, I have to stay on longer and I can't climb up. So there's a lot of complications that can be caused by playing a zero nose most of the time. You don't have to do it all the time. And then just the identification of what the front is and who the hot players are, who the Mike linebacker is. The designations are very difficult. And then the way that they play gaps and the things, that, the way that they're able to knife and do different things, like a – you look at how TCU handled things last year, and that was a defense that had a lot of run-through, a lot of run-pressures, a lot of stunts, a lot of blitzes, and just you, you have to be ready for that because they happen quick. And and then, like, to go back to, like, Joe Lee's defense, and, you know, that was the joke that I was trying to make with the Cowbell during the game. And I don't, I don't I think some people didn't like it, but I was kind of making the joke of the fact that, man, I never beat this team. So, like, this is not real fun for me to sit here and ring a Cowbell. Like, it brings back a lot of bad memories. <laughs> but, you know, that defense specifically, all of a sudden, you got nobody with their hand on the ground. And you got 320-pound D tackles and a 210-pound safety and a 250-pound linebacker and a 285 defensive end, and they're all just walking around. Like, how do you designate that? Like, what do you call that? So, I mean, we had names that we would call it, and we had certain plays we'd run against it, but if it's pass protection, how do you number that up? Like, we got to the point 
year two when we played it where we would literally just call out a number individually. Like I would say 95 and the right guard would say 56 and the left guard would say, you know, 92. And we would try to sort it out that way and just man it up. Well, most of those guys aren't coming. So it's, it's, it's just a difficult defense to, to diagnose, to designate who's who. And then so many different things can happen. It, it makes it tough to manage the majority of the time. You will be in Oxford this Saturday night for the Ole Miss-Georgia Tech game. There are a lot of Ole Miss fans that have watched the Rebels through the first two weeks, and they've said, what's wrong with Quinshawn Judkins? What's wrong with the offensive line? As you have studied for this game and you've watched this this first group on the offensive line, what do you see? They're not playing great football together. Uh, I think individually there are a couple of guys that, that have done some good things at times. Like I've seen – I've seen Micah Pettis do some really good things, and, and I've seen him do some things that, that he'd probably like to have back. Quincy McGee is, is a guy that's playing from a physicality standpoint, from an effort standpoint at a high level, but they just don't, they don't seem to all be on the same page. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, Richard, I think it's a lot of college football right now. There, there's, hmm. I've heard from more coaches in TV meetings and on the phone that I've talked to and seen actually in some press conferences just saying, uh, we don't know exactly what we have. We don't know exactly who we are. We don't know exactly what we are. Uh, I think some of the turnover is beginning to become a little bit more difficult to deal with as just far as getting everybody game ready. And you think about the lack of contact that you have, the lack of physicality in fall practice. Like I think if you were to go back 10 years or 15 years or probably even eight years, we got a minute those left. players coming – coming out of those camps, they would have been still ahead of where these kids are having played two games because we had more physical practices in fall, more physical plays that we played full speed than these guys have had after playing two full games. So there's going to be an acclimation that comes with it. There's nothing wrong with Quinshawn Judkins. They're facing overloaded boxes, and the offensive line is having a couple of letdowns here and there. But it's opened up a lot of stuff that's happened in the past game. So it's not all a terrible thing that's been happening up front for the Ole Miss offense. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out as this season grows. Uh, Cole Kublik, Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, SEC Saturday night from Oxford this week with Ole Miss and Georgia Tech. Cole, thanks as always for your time. We'll catch up soon. Absolutely, guys. Can't wait to catch up soon. Cole Kublik, field analyst for the SEC Network on Saturday nights and uh, co-host alongside Roman Harper with Read and React. I haven't been able to sit down and watch the entirety of that show, but the like the bits of it that I've watched, it's pretty interesting, pretty entertaining. Sports Talk Mississippi, college football fix, coming up next. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports. Sports. On your radio and in the game. Super Talk Mississippi. Appreciate Cole Kublik joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best of uh, the uh, Ford trucks are built for tough. 
why, how, where you can find them, then uh, visit your local Mississippi Ford dealer and test drive one today. Today is a, a bit of an anniversary. The year was A day of celebration, Richard. A day of remembrance. The year was 2008, September 13th, 2008. With 7.38 to go in the second quarter, the Auburn uh. Tigers kicked a 35-yard field goal to take a 3 to nothing lead over Mississippi State. With 7.06 left in the fourth quarter, the Mississippi State defense forced Auburn into a safety, a two-play, well, kinda. minus three-yard drive. Kind of. It was a penalty, right? Well, was it, it was holding penalty. in the end zone? Holding in the end yeah. zone, yeah. Well, so technically forced, but forced, forced Auburn into a safety. And uh, in the bottom of the ninth, it was a 3-2 ball game. And that is where it in Man, these three outcome at bats are really ruining baseball. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, Dad, what do you remember about that ball game? Almost every freaking detail. All right. That was one of the worst football games I've ever been to. Uh, I have never seen a football game like that. I have never seen. And, and, and look, as bad as State was, Auburn just as bad. Just as bad. They they tried to bring in this hurry-up, no-huddle offense, but it really wasn't hurry-up. They had a lot of check with me, and it got to the point where it was just annoying. They, they would get on the ball, and then they'd look at the sideline, and then they go, penalties, uh, terrible play calling. This game had, I, I'm like Stefan over here. This game had it all. Terrible play calling. Penalties. Missed field goals. Special teams errors. And Sylvester Croom. It had it all. It was terrible. Let's do this soon. Let's, was, let's just, oh, my gosh. Just so brutal. Is so Chris brutal. Todd the least remembered Auburn quarterback of the last three decades? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, was 16 in 2008, and I could not have told you who Chris Todd was. Like, I, I was I was alive and kicking and watching college football every single Saturday, like, locked in, and that name does nothing for me. Yeah. He yeah, was 14. He, he, I mean, and that was not a good Auburn team. Well, at the time, they were ranked ninth in the country. At the time. Um, Auburn was led by Ben Tate on the ground with 20 carries for 92 yards. I had a buddy who said, I thought that was Bo Nix's freshman year. <laughs> ooh, they, they were ranked number, ooh, could you imagine? Today, I know it happened, but if Ole Miss or State were ranked in the top ten, started three and zero, and finished five and seven, and I believe, if I remember correctly, that that included wins over both Mississippi State and Ole Miss that year, didn't it? They they, they lost to Vanderbilt that year, and that was when Vandy was at our college game day was at Vandy. How about that? No, they lost Ole Miss that year, so their wins, Louisiana Monroe, Southern Miss, and Mississippi State. Uh, they lost a close one to LSU at home a week later, uh, just a five-point loss. Beat Tennessee, so they were 4-1, and one, and their only loss was a four-point loss to LSU. 
Then they lost to Vanderbilt, Arkansas, West Virginia for some reason in Morgantown. At Ole Miss, their lone win coming on November 8th down that stretch over Tennessee Martin. Then they lost huh? to Georgia and Alabama, thirty-six to nothing in Tuscaloosa. To... And that Alabama loss is the one that snapped Tuberville's streak against them. They had won what six in a row prior to that. It's just a miserable State. football game. I love this text. That game was so bad. I was glad I was in China at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Wesley Carroll was ten of twenty-five throwing the football for seventy-eight yards. He was picked off one time. Christian Decree carried it 16 times for 49 yards for Mississippi State. Leading receiver was Co-Eric Riley with three catches for 26 yards. Co-Eric. Look at him. Um, Adam Carlson was 0 of 1. He missed from 43. Wes Byram was 1 of 3. For Auburn's only three points in the game, Clinton Durst punted seven times for Auburn while Blake McAdams punted ten times for Mississippi State. I was convinced going into the fourth quarter State was going to win five to three, which I thought was a far funnier score than than three to two. But it didn't happen. Hmm. Let's see here. It begs the question for me. Because that's the worst State, State game I've ever six seen. first down and went 0 for 14 on third down and 0 for 3 on fourth down. 116 yards of total <laughs> offense. Yeah. 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 But you know what? It might be worse that Auburn had 315 yards of total offense and only managed three points. Three points. Ben, yeah. Ben, but don't break. No, on a serious <laughs> note, if you... I don't know if they bend much. If you... They had 12 if, penalties for 94 yards, Auburn did. I was there. I know all of this. If you were a Mississippi State fan on that day in that stadium and you went to the next home game, you deserve some kind of medal of like commitment, honor that needs to be given to you from the university with a commemorative plaque and like a special tree Buddy? planted for you on campus. Buddy, I didn't go to the next home game. I went to Atlanta the next week to watch them play Georgia Tech. The, the, the Haydad tree needs to be planted on that campus in honor of your commitment to that football team my, because they did not deserve wife, what you did for them. My wife sent me a picture. She was in Atlanta last week. She's like, is this Georgia Tech Stadium? I was like, yeah. I was there for a quarter and a half in 2008. We drove five and a half hours to get to Atlanta and then stayed for a quarter and a half because it was so bad. We're like... Done. The next week, I had tickets did, did to Tiger you, Stadium. Did you at least run what? up the hill to the Varsity and grab a chili cheese dog before you hit now the we road? Found, we found a bar, and then we went to a Brazilian steakhouse. That was the only thing that was going to make us feel better. The next week, I had tickets to go to LSU, and I made a point. I sold those tickets, and I made a point to find LSU fans to buy them. I would not enable a Mississippi State fan to go to Tiger Stadium for that game. I would not do it. Auburn lost three fumbles in that game, too. I know. I know. <laughs> On this day in Mississippi State history, um, <laughs> C Spire text line, and yet somehow SEC storied made Sylvester Croom the victim for being fired. Yeah. Uh, 
I was on crutches from an ACL tear. My ride to the game got drunk. I had to crutch to the truck and drive us home. Worst game ever. Oh, I couldn't imagine. Um, I watched this game in person, and it was so bad that it had me forgetting why I was no. there. No, no. Read, read that again. Oh, I watched <laughs> this game in prison, and it was so bad that it had me forgetting why I was there, and I'm a state fan. <laughs> so why were you there? Hmm. What did uh, you do? David says, still the worst day in Davis Wade Stadium, sitting in the upper deck with one of my closest friends by ourselves, watching the loss to Maine. Yeah, that's a bad one, too. At least they got in the end zone for that one. Uh, I Once. broke my cowbell at that game, and that is not easy to do. I, 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 I caved mine in at the 97 Egg Bowl. Hmm. Like a mad tennis player, just like on the ground, just yeah, all the, all the stands. I just I just started beating the stands with my cowbell, and there was a dent like that, like it was like a concave dent going in there. I wasn't Evan happy. says I'm a diehard Ole Miss fan. I was at that Mississippi State Auburn three to two game because my wife is a State fan, and I decided to give in. I haven't been back. When we come back, we're talking about what the worst Ole Miss game in history was. You get to relive that, Richard. Well, it's not on this day. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I don't. I just want to hear about it. What would that be? Because uh, I don't think it's Jacksonville. It's got to be Louisiana, at least in in my history of living in Mississippi. It would be the Louisiana Tech game in nuts last year. That was a absolutely horrendous football game from every possible angle that you could take. I don't remember much about that one, unlike Hey Dad. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. <laughs> Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports. Sports Talk Mississippi. You know I love sports. On Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. The Hey Dad demanded equal time before the uh, right. break. By the way, Borky, I don't know why today is rush day, but I'm glad that it is. Just was feeling it. Came up right. on my Spotify on the way in, and I was like, yep, rush day. I'll take it. You can be part of the conversation on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. There seem to be three or four games. Uh, that people have kind of come up with as the worst game ever for Ole Miss. Now there there is not a, a three to two game or a two to nothing game or anything like that that at least I can find in, in short order. So the first one that people have mentioned is Jacksonville State. The problem with that is that was a high scoring game. It was a terrible loss, terrible way to start the season. But there are a lot of points. Jacksonville State won 49-48 in double overtime. That's an exciting football game. That can't count. 
And so that was to start the 2010 season. So I'm, I'm going to X that one out. By the way, right. that team finished four and eight. The, the next year's team finished two and 10. And the game against Louisiana Tech, the one that Borky was talking about before the break. Ole Miss jumped out to a seven nothing lead in that ball game when Randall Mackey connected with Brandon Bolden for a first-quarter touchdown to make it 7-zip. That happened with, um, oh, let's see, when was that? That was with 8.53 to go in the first quarter. That would be all the scoring that Ole Miss would do as Louisiana Tech dominated the next 41 and a half minutes or 51 and a half minutes of that game. They scored 10 in the second quarter, 10 in the third quarter, seven more in the fourth quarter, en route to a 27 to seven win. Um, Ole Miss had two quarterbacks, Randall Mackey and Zach Stout combined to go 14 of 37. 4.8 per pass attempt. It, yeah. It's at least in modern history before my time here, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's worse, but in terms of how the game was played and felt from the stands, that's got to be it. There was maybe 15,000 people there. So, I mean, it was just an empty, just dreary environment where the inevitable was was on its way and a poorly played game. we got people saying 4th and 25. Ole Miss was on the, the, the bad end no. of that game. That was an electric football game. That was a so, well-played incredible football game. game. We keep, this ha- game Again, what makes 3-2... What makes three to two the game we're talking about is that it's an awful game. It's not that just not that just that state lost. It's that there was it's unwatchable football. You know, Smitty actually makes a pretty good point. The following week, following the Louisiana Tech loss to fall to two and eight, Ole Miss hosted number one and undefeated LSU the following Saturday, and LSU won the game fifty-two to three. They won the game 52-3 to on a night that Jordan Jefferson and Jarrett Lee combined to go 8 of 8 throwing the football for 105 yards and a touchdown. But LSU ran it for 353 yards, averaged 7 yards per carry. Ole Miss used three quarterbacks in the game. Barry Burdetti, who went 5 of 10 for 30 yards. Zach Stout, who went 3 of 8 for 17 yards. And apparently they decided to let Brandon Bolden throw it one time, and that was an incompletion. Um, but probably the most demoralizing thing that has ever happened, at least in modern Ole Miss history, if you go to the play-by-play of that game and you go to LSU's final possession of the uh, of the game, you, you see that, um, let's see, LSU had an eight-play, 33-yard drive that lasted four minutes and 45 seconds. They started the drive with 7.38 to go in the game at the Ole Miss 46. When they got down inside the the five-yard line, LSU had it first and goal with 4.45 to play, actually with 5.10 to play, and they took a timeout. And they came out of that timeout, and on first and goal from the one, LSU took a knee for a loss of three yards. 
And on second and goal from the four, they took another knee for a loss of three yards. And on third and goal from the seven, they took a knee for a loss of three more yards back to the 10-yard line. And on fourth and goal from the 10-yard line with three minutes to play, LSU took a knee and turned it over on downs. How was that that game? State was on the road, and uh, my boss at the time was an Ole Miss fan. He had tickets. He's like, if you want to come, you can come. And ran into my cousins, who were the LSU fans in my family. And I remember sitting with them when that happened, and we were just looking at each other going, literally have never seen this before in a football game in my life, that a team taking a knee with this much time left. Never seen it before. That Haven't is, seen it since. That is the bless your heart of coaching decisions. <laughs> and that's, you know, this isn't Ole Miss playing, uh, you know, South Carolina or something, right? That's LSU. Mm-hmm. One of the most bitter rivalries in the SEC. And LSU just, I think it, it kind of goes sort of the story I told about the 08 Egg Bowl. Like, I would rather fight than be pitied, right? I, at that point, you're just like, just, just score or try. This is ridiculous. That's the bigger insult is to take the knee. All right, hey, Dad, if, if, if we're not doing the exercise correctly, Keith mm-hmm. in Water Valley might have the right answer. I was at this okay. game. 1999, season opener, Ole Miss at Memphis. Mm-hmm. One of the hottest, most stagnant, air, muggy, humid games I have ever been to, and it was a night game. Yeah. I think that was David Cutcliffe's regular season debut. It was a pretty yeah. decent Ole Miss offense with Romero Miller at quarterback. It's a good team. Deuce McAllister. Yeah, Deuce, and Ole Miss gone. beat Memphis 3 to nothing that night. That's I thought you one. might go with, with Orgeron's first win against Memphis State. Was it like 10-7? That was in Memphis, too. I feel like you've got to lose, though, to, to even though the game – I mean, what was it? Oh, I agree. Like – there's a difference in well, worse the win and worse was a win game. in '99. Yeah, so I don't know yeah. if that counts. And like the Northwestern State game that Orgeron really had, to watch. Yeah, that's probably another State, one. But you got to lose. State's worst win for me is 2002. They beat Troy, who was two years away from being Division One AA. They were they were Division One AA two years prior to this game. They beat State no one in a tornado, and then the next year State beats them 11 to eight. And I'll never forget, State has the ball. All they've got to do is take a knee. The game is over, right? The game is over. All you got to do is take a knee. And they ran a QB draw with Kevin Fant, and he, he hurt his ankle. <laughs> they had they did not have to run the play. The game, they, like, they were under, just take a knee, game is over. They ran a play for some reason, and he got hurt and missed, I think, the next two games. That That is State's worst win, in my opinion. That Ole Miss-Memphis game, Les Binkley kicked a 40-yard field goal with 7.47 left in the fourth quarter. And that was it. That was the only scoring in the game. Les Binkley, though. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why we did this to ourselves over the last uh, few minutes, but uh, many of you are commiserating (laughs) with us as well. Yeah. So... Hey, uh, you know, teams are winning... We've got a lot more in common than we think, State fans and Ole Miss fans. We've suffered a lot together. Here's what we had to do. Because Saturday, this past Saturday, 
one team beat a Power 5 team. And another went on the road and beat a ranked team by three scores. And everybody was mad. This is a humbling. This is a reminder of where you've been versus where you are right now. That's what these two segments were about. State fans are mad because they had to go to overtime to beat another Power 5 team. There was a time where you were trying to go to overtime to beat a FCS team from Maine. So, you know. Hmm. Oh, me. Just looking at the... Uh... When I think about these games, there's only one thing I ever think about. I love this text. Rising that... up out on the street. Take my time. Take my chances. Because not everybody could listen to every second of the show, right? Here's this message. What People year like, was it that State this? lost to Auburn like 3-2 to two or a ridiculous baseball score? Yeah. Was that Coach Croom's first year? That was his last year. Goodness. Oh, uh, John's that, won. Look at that. That's why we're talking about this in the uh, in the first place. It was on this day in 2008 that uh, that, that infamous 3-2 to two game in Stark happened. Richard, do you Ugh. know why Hey Dad for two days has randomly started singing Eye of the Tiger in a European accent? I have no idea, no. Okay. Oh, ne- he doesn't know. Next, he still thinks it's funny, though. Next, we're going to show you why he did that. Yes. You're going to have to listen to it. I listen to it. It's incredible. Just trust us. We'll do that when we when we come back. We got more coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi. One thing I remember from that Ole Miss Memphis game, Ole Miss went hockey style. They went full line change. David Cutcliffe drove the, took the entire first team offense off the field and put it. Let's go, let's go. This is your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. All right, Richard. So the U.S. Open happened, right? American won. All good. There was a Belarusian named Sabalenka who yes. made a run all the way to the finals. Well, this at the end of her, I believe, quarterfinal match, I could be wrong, but this aired on uh, television in her home country in Belarus. This was how Belarus, uh, whatever the guy's name is, I don't know, this is how he called the winning point on her broadcast. you got to stick with it for a little while. You're just going to hear just kind of... Just give it a second. Just give it a It'll second. Be all right. And, uh, yeah, Belarusian television. Фантастический матч! Фантастический! Кто писал в комментариях, что Арина недостойна звания первой ракетки мира? Получите! Распишитесь! Rising up! Back on the street! Did my time, took my chances! When the distance, now I'm back on my feet! Just a man and his will to survive! So many times it happens too fast. You change your passion for glory. Don't lose a grip on the dreams of the past. You must fight just to keep them alive. It's the eye of the tiger. It's the thrill of the night. Rising up to the challenge of arrival. And the last 
No swearing. Hey, I don't stop. Yeah. That's so good. That's beautiful. You see, after she lost to Coco Golf in the final, she pulled a tennis racket out of her bag and just beat it on the floor before she went to see the media. Then, yeah, I feel bad for her. Trash can. Yeah, because that was she was. She didn't do it on the court. She she handled herself very with class after she lost, and then she wanted mm-hmm. to go have a private moment where she broke something. And of course, there's a security camera where that gets published all over the internet, where of she course. broke her own racket. Yeah, Borky, I got somebody texting me asking where they can get that clip. Where where where, where, where do you get? Why don't you just tweet it? It's probably on the YouTube's. I would think. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll put it out there on on the interwebs. All right. Hey, uh, if you're looking for a new vehicle, Belk Ford Oxford Toyota, the place to go. I've been telling you for a while that uh, the great selection of F-150s that they've got available at Belk Ford is uh, is what you should check out, and and that's true, and you can save up to $9,000 on that. But the selection of vehicles that they've got at Oxford Toyota right now includes a couple of four-wheel drive Toyota Tundras, the uh, newly redesigned Tundra. They've got a great selection of Toyota Tacomas, so that mid-sized Toyota pickup truck that will absolutely run forever. I mean, it's incredible how long the lifespan is on those. Got a good selection of Toyota 4Runners that are available right now, and uh, the always reliable Toyota Camry, uh, even some 2024 models on the lot. You can get all of those at Oxford Toyota. You can check out the full inventory on their website, OxfordToyota.com, or stop by and see them in person. Same address that I tell you about all the time for Belk Ford. It's Highway 6 West, just west of Oxford, just before you get to the Jackson Avenue interchange there on Highway 6. So Highway 6 West in Oxford, OxfordToyota.com, BelkFord.net. Stop by. Check out what they've got on the lot, see if it's what you are looking for, and tell them that you heard about them on Sports Talk Mississippi. Coming up next, Brian Haydad with Thunder and oh, Lightning on the radio. It is uh, it is going to happen. You lost, Haydad. It's all right. Did you lose a bet? We didn't think you were going to, to we were just, the We were convinced it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I, thought, I thought, didn't think you had enough time. Yeah, pretty sure I it's mentioned right, it earlier today also. So that's that's too You mentioned my podcast. Uh, too Pod, yeah. So. Richard, they're, they're very different, different things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got a guest tonight or are you just going to bloviate for an hour? I'm glad you finally stopped talking, Cross. Let a real man speak. The one true star here in the Super Talk universe. Thunder and Lightning Live coming up next. Former LSU All-American Jacob Hester joins me. We'll break down the Bulldogs and the Bayou Bengals. Dutch State have a chance. I'm going to tell you like nobody else will. Maybe I'm in a bad mood. I don't know. But one thing's for sure, Thunder and Lightning Live is next on Super Talk. Yeah! That's going to pretty much do it for us in the Pearl River Resort Studios. <laughs> if, if that happened an hour ago, we still would have just cut the show. You know what? We're done for the day. That's it. Uh, Pearl River Resort. So get some dinner. Don't forget uh, two great golf courses, the Dancing Rabbit, the Oaks, and the Azaleas. All right. What an ending. <laughs> what an ending. We got, uh, and that's we got, not an insult. That's just a fact of life. We got a... Uh, Rush, Ru- Russian Eye of the Tiger and uh, Hey Dad <laughs> pretending to be Ric Flair 
His radio show that is was coming up play. next. Hey, don't forget, tomorrow in Power, Mississippi's third annual policy summit at the two Mississippi museums is happening. Middays with Gerard Gibbert will be there talking to state and national policy experts about education, the economy, and criminal justice. You can get your tickets online at empowerms.org. That's empowerms.org. We will re-rack it and uh, do this all over again in 21 hours. For Michael Borky and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. Good night. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services A Super Talk Mississippi media production.